The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. What are the reasons we have near-death experiences? What are we supposed to do with such a gift? And what is the best way to share our NDE with others? Hi, I'm your host, Lee Whitting, for this week's exploration of all things concerning the NDE on IONS NDE Radio. The program is brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and you should check out our homepage at INDS.org for more information. I want to begin the show today by reading an NDE story from a woman named Linda, she got it to me by a series of um, coincidences so strange that I think I was meant to read it on the air today, even though it happened, oh, almost 50 years ago. Linda writes, uh, I come from a military family background. We moved every two years my whole life. I have two brothers, and each summer my parents would have us visit with grandparents who lived on the river that led to the sea in Prince Edward Island, Canada. I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm now 60 years old, and my first NDE would have been when I was about 12, and it's as clear to me as if it were yesterday. I was the only girl hanging around with two brothers and two male cousins. We were playing under a bridge we liked to dive off. It was a common thing we did, and being that it led to the sea, it had a current. Half of us were in uh, grandfather's rowboat, the others on shore. We had our family dog who came to stay the summer with us on the boat that day. We were all good swimmers. I, being from the city, didn't know dogs could naturally swim. Ours had never been in the water, to my knowledge. Well, seeing my brothers playing and skipping stones on the store on the on the shore, she barked out to them and jumped out of the boat to get them. I panicked and jumped out to save her, not knowing. She pushed me off to get away. I went under and was caught by the current. I didn't get pushed far, and I surfaced to get air and scream for help, and I could see my brothers laughing and not realizing the seriousness of the situation. I struggled what seemed like a minute as I slowly sank, my back toward the bottom. Looking up at the light, everything seemed in slow motion. I was in no pain, and saw, and saw though I didn't know it then, my la- life passed before me. It looked like a movie reel with Daddy in the kitchen making fudge when we lived in France. Christmas time, playing games with my brothers, and as I watched this happy life, I was being lifted upwards toward the light, and all of a sudden I was out of the water and not so much flying as gliding up, 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 and was joined by others, and surrounding me I felt the very powerful elders join me. They didn't have faces, and every everything around was white. I distinctly remember leveling off and gliding along, looking down at the world. I had so many questions. I didn't ask them, I only thought them, and my elders were answering me as we continued to glide upwards toward a very beautiful bright light. It was at that point I had a knowing. Someone, maybe an elder, maybe God, ever so peacefully gave me a knowing. It was the answers to everything, a peacefulness I have never felt again. It was as if I knew why the sand existed. It was as if I knew why God designed everything. I remember smiling, thinking, oh, now I understand. Just like that, I was splashing around in the water. My cousin was pulling me out into the boat. 
it probably only lasted seconds, but for me a long time, and I would remember it to this day. I also remember being very sad to be alive, wanting to go back to be enveloped in the love and knowing. I'm by nature a doubter, and I often wonder if I was shown this at an early age for the reason of keeping me in the faith as a way of my just knowing it is so. I also have been blessed to access people and animals and really know what they are about and know what their behaviors, where their behaviors stem from. I do believe I was shown all this for a reason. I might at one time have known why. I might one time have known why, but being alive with humans again, the answer escapes me. And that's uh, from Linda. Okay, our guest today is Chuck Swedrock, a computer techie. You'd think he wouldn't be uh, giving NDEs a second thought, and yet he has been very active with the National Office of IANS and with helping uh, start local groups, IANS support groups. He lives in the Tucson, Arizona area, but travels as far as North Phoenix on a regular basis um, to help with group there, and that's not a short drive because I've made it myself. Chuck, welcome to NDE Radio. Oh, thank you, Lee. Thank you, and thank you for, you know, your effort to get this venue going to help communicate about these experiences. Well, I think it's really important. I think uh, to answer that first question I asked, why, what, or the second perhaps, what are we supposed to do with these experiences? I think it's really that we're supposed to talk about them, share them, and help others uh, who've had them. So, and I know that's what you've been busy doing. Oh, absolutely. I want to say that up front, you know, the subject of death is not everyone's cup of tea. It's not just an academic topic for people who are dealing with, you know, significant loss. And I don't mean just uh, loss of a physical presence of someone, but it, it can be loss of a job, loss of a relationship. And those kind of emotional traumas, loss of a pet, they can all lead to these kinds of experiences. I want to say up front, when I use the term NDE, it's really shorthand for near death and similar experiences. You know, from yes. the ac- ap- academic measure, the Grayson scale, as you know, there's no reference to the condition of a body. It's a, except for a question that asks if, if the individual had a perception of being separate from their body, but the mm-hmm. 16, questions in the scale, which can be found on the IANS website, really anyone can identify parts of that as experiences they've had. Yes, uh, a couple um, shows ago, we, I think I, I talked to uh, Yvonne Sneeden, and she did not really have a, a death or even close to a death. She just felt very, she felt, felt like her body was failing but out of sort of out of the blue and um and yet she had a profound experience from that so it yes it can come from any level of um of being close to death or emotionally uh, traumatized uh, we had a woman who was just driving on the expressway and had had a loss of a relationship and she measures where she was at the start of the experience to the end by where an off ramp was and thinks maybe it was a second and a half of physical time, but it takes her four hours now to tell the story because it was so deep and profound. Wow. Well, tell us a little about um, what got you interested in near-death experiences. 
Well, I've been doing or around the subject. I just kind of turn around. There it is. 25 years now. It's kind of hard to believe, but <laughs> the first, the first time, uh, I was in my thirties, uh, early 1980 and I had uh, just a regular dentist appointment and have some fillings replaced. And of course, going to the dentist always felt a little like a near death experience, but that's, <laughs> that's another story. Yes, Anyhow, <laughs> as I'm there, and I'm prepped for this work by the hygienist of all this stuff in my mouth. I'm a captive audience. The dentist comes, give me some Novocaine and starts to tell this story while he's waiting for it to take effect. And it's, it's like he's talking to her or whatever, but he had met a salesman the day before. The salesman told the dentist he just returned to work after being hospitalized with a cardiac condition. And that the salesman, while he was in the hospital, his heart had stopped and they had to revive him with the paddles. And then during that time, he had this experience of going into the light and meeting beings he recognized as members of his deceased family. And the salesman continues that at that point, those beings introduced him to other beings there that he had no prior knowledge of, but who were identified as members of his extended family, also deceased. So after he was revived and recovered, he did the research and he authenticated this information of these previously unknown people as being part of the extended family. Now, at this point, I look up, the hygienist, her face was just rigid with fear. You could tell this was not something she was comfortable with. She had, she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to hear that. I kind of wanted to reach out and comfort her thinking, well, you know, I think this is good information, but what do you do with that? The dentist went to work and he did his. And I, and I had the time maybe heard the phrase near death experience, but it really wasn't on my agenda. I had a busy life. And so it was a seed that was planted so that years later when this stuff began to crop up and have more media attention and stuff, then I began to say, well, you know, I'd like to know more about it. But the point of that little antidote that really stuck with me was that during the experience, the individual picked up information that they should have no way of knowing while they're in a hospital, you know, in, in a cardiac arrest. Where did they get that knowledge? And then they could later verify it. So in the trade, we call that veridical perception or veridical evidence of the authenticity of these experiences. You know, it's beyond the ordinary. So it really intrigues us to look deeper into the subject. You know, that's that's always the uh, problem with the uh, medical people or the scientists who like to think that uh, this is all just a enhanced electrical activity of the brain when you're dying or something along those lines, where does this extra information come from, if not from a true out-of-body experience? Well, and the, uh, quote, paranormal that they can't touch with supposedly scientific uh, procedures Hmm. or a process. I think that IONS has demonstrated, and the reason IONS came into existence, that 35 years ago when they first coined the term near-death experience, the phenomena had been around forever, as you've shared before, you know, with Plato and the story of the soldier of Ur. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a story in the Bible, which is uh, St. Paul in the first part of the 
chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians when he talks about his near-death experience, whether he it was in the body or not, when he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things. That's exactly the vernacular of a near-death experience. And those of us who've been around it know that he's not describing his experience on the road to Damascus when all of a sudden this light showed up and he is hearing a voice. There was no significant trauma before the start of the Damascus experience. But there was a journey he took, a missionary journey, where he was stoned. And it says right in the scripture in Acts, I think, that uh, chapter 4, that Paul was left outside the city thinking he was dead. And then some other disciples came and gathered around him, and he got up and went back into the city. So we would say from our understanding of this phenomenon, that was where the near-death experience occurred. Mm-hmm. That he talked about. And then it goes on. It goes on through history. Swedenborg, Swedenborg, who had a different approach given his paranormal experiences, and he was led and actually escorted into what we'll call the afterlife or the other side. He recorded in his writings many of the characteristics that we now chronicle for near-death experiences, a life review. You know, meeting spiritual beings, being escorted to a realm, and, you know, having access to greater knowledge. So this is not a new phenomenon, but in the early 70s or mid-70s when Raymond Moody coined the term near-death experience in his book Life After Life, we then went on to say, well, let's study it. There were psychologists, psychiatrists, and some others, cardiologists, uh, who wanted to know more because they had touched the subject from various angles. They collected the data, did it in a professional academic manner, but nobody would publish the information. So they formed this association called IONS, mm. or today, today called IONS. And so every, every quarter for those over 35 years now, they've published an academic peer reviewed journal that has collected this information. So this is not just whimsical stories that people find fascinating. This is real everyday experiences for people. Right, with hard evidence. Uh, going back to St. Paul for a minute, I want to get your take on um, the, the fact that many people who come back from NDEs seem to have an increased belief in the possibility of reincarnation. And St. Paul was is always the source that Christianity cites as saying that we only have one life. How, how do you take those two things on? <laughs> Boy, did you step into the deep end. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, let me tell you what. From my perspective, from the aspect of human identity, there is no such thing as reincarnation. If you define identity as from the point I was born on a particular date given human uh you know, measurement of time, and you put into that identity the circle of relationships you have, mother, father, family, neighbors, friends, and run that through to the course of a physical expiration of that identity, that's a one-time deal. That doesn't come back again, you know, and I know there's the uh, Christian focus also on the resurrection of a physical body. Right. Now, we know 
from studying these experiences and from the earlier literature, Swedenborg and others, uh, that there is the representation of a body in the spiritual realm, at least the initial spiritual realm. But that is a lot broader than that. So in a near-death experience or a similar experience, yes, there is a resurrection of the body we recover. And so perhaps that's the explanation that was somehow pushed over into a Christian doctrine of recovery of a body at some point in the future, along with it, the identity of that body. Now, as for reincarnation from a personality point of view, which is, I think, is really what a lot of the uh, world's religions that focus on or include reincarnation, like Buddhism or the, the Hinduism, you know, there's a lot of personality traits that we can get brought along, brought into a new life. Uh, but it's a new identity at that point. So what do you mean by reincarnation? Another angle on this is the whole field. And um, in our group here in Tucson, we just had a speaker who talked about past life regression. This is a hypnotherapist that will hypnotize somebody and take them back and they'll remember what they recall as a past life. Mm-hmm. And then the work of Dr. Michael Newton, who now has about 7,000 cases where he, before he went public with his book, Journey of Souls, I think it's called, where he regressed people to the point where they could talk about their memories of planning their current life. And they call it life between life. So... Uh, this particular speaker that we had, it was our first for this season, we had 153 people show up as our group has now been in existence for three and a half years. And the interest in this subject is just growing phenomenally. Mm. And his take, because he was so enamored with Michael Newton, is he's tended to discount some of the transcendental elements of the near-death experiences. So... When people come into these topics, whether it's from a religious point of view or a scientific point of view, they're getting a a different aspect, a different view of it. And I think you and I talked earlier about the uh, parable in India, blind people and an elephant, where it's an old story that each blind person is touching a different part of the elephant, and they describe an elephant from their, you know, angle or their sense of what they can perceive and they're all unique but we know the greater reality of an elephant includes all of their perceptions so in in our group we put it up as kind of a mission statement for the group that it's a reflective question of saying with this parable what if these blind people each agreed to share their unique experiences of a greater unknown reality. In sharing, we come up with a a larger picture, a a greater understanding. If we want to take just an exclusive religious view of something, we're going to be short of the mark compared to all the knowledge that's available from other perceptions, etc. That's just Mm -hmm. an example. So, well, and, and I'd like to emphasize the IONS policy, which we implement in our group too, is that IONS has a no party line on the, 
interpretation of these experiences. All respectful points of view are welcome and, and shared. The, I will say there is a caveat in that is we, we're somewhat intolerant of proselytizers, people who want to come in and convert the world to their point of view, or people who discount the data because they can't explain it, they deny it, and assume that, you know, it's not valid. I mean, for 35 years now, we have a very solid foundation of data that needs to be addressed in terms of any explanation. I know I was curious. I'm sure you saw it. There's an article out now because they can measure an activity level of electricity in the brains of dying rats. And now this is all of a sudden the scientific explanation for near-death experiences. is like, yeah. oh, come on. I mean, how far do you have to stretch it? <laughs> you know, well, you know what, what bothered me about that story was the fact that three years ago in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article that, that pointed out the fact that there is an increased electrical activity in the brain of humans. So why they had to kill all these rats to come up with this uh, <laughs> With a study, I don't know. And to introduce that theory and then say it's an explanation for near-death experiences is absurd because it ignores the data. It ignores all the body, the database we have of veridical perception. Exactly. Veridical evidence that is produced in these experiences where people come back, they talk about knowledge that they couldn't have gained from the state of where their body was in the physical experience. Probably the most famous story of that is that sneaker on the window ledge that uh, one out-of-body experiencer noticed. Yeah, it's cute. It's called the shoe heard around the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've, you touched a little on... Um, on what your local group is doing, maybe we could talk, because I, I haven't discussed this much before, about the uh, local groups that IANS uh, offers right. to people. Well, if people go to the website, there is a link there for groups, and they'll find 35 to 40 of various stages of size and activity around the country, and a few internationally. One of the problems is that people contact us say they'd like to start a group. And maybe they're familiar with some of the groups or take a look at some of the large group like ours or Chicago or Seattle or Salt Lake City and a whole bunch of California. And these are groups that have been established for a while and they are, have a lot of involvement. You don't need to do that to start a group. It can be, we had one group in Portland that met for 20 years in a person's living room. Mm. Start small. Connected with people who are interested in the subject. Bring together videos. We've got free videos on the website. You get, oh, don't get me started on the YouTube phenomenon because there's all sorts of material out there. A lot of it good. Some of it just bogus. Mm-hmm. But the point being, you can start a group. It can be small and you can make a, a study group that goes forward. And maybe if you get the energy, then you begin to be bigger and publicize yourself. Uh, the meetup.com website is a great way to start a group. You put out the notice that you're going to have a meeting and people who are interested in the f- phenomena can join that group, get, uh, get no- announcements of your meetings. The only problem with meetup is they do have a subscription fee that you'd have to pay up front. 
if uh, anyone wanted to um, talk about uh, starting a group or uh, get more information on it, could they get in touch with you? Oh, sure. Uh, my email address Chuck S at ions.org. So that's just C-H-U-C-K-S at ions.org. And, uh, yeah, I'd be happy to try to respond and help people get started. They can also do that through the website. There's a link there to, for an interest, to show the interest of starting a group. Now they will get a package from the office and that kind of puts down the formula for the group, including the idea that it has to be open. I mean, to the no party line approach. I mean, we're not here to, uh, you know, be a part of promoting somebody else's view of the world. I mean, there's near death experiences from all angles and, uh, we want them all to be appreciated. Sure. It goes back to the elephant story. We don't just want to hear about the elephant's left leg. We want the whole picture. Yeah. What we do here in Tucson is we have two meetings. We have what we call the guest speaker meeting, which is uh, audience presentation format. Uh, the speakers are in front of the room and will tell their story and background and then at the end have question and answers. And I said we had like 153. We do that October through May, kind of figuring that the summer is something you take off in Tucson. But we have a second meeting which meets one week later after the guest speaker meeting and it meets year round and it's uh, for just sharing for it's a small group well it's growing I mean this last month we had 40 people which kind of blew our socks off we'll have to change we have to get a larger room now but I mean it's just it's done in a very safe environment that's one of our is we want a safe neutral environment for the sharing of these personal experiences what um, now? You have a website for your local group. Is this something that uh, people could look at to get an idea of what a larger group can offer? Well, yeah, we have a, a meetup site. It's called All Run Together org and we're starting one in Phoenix, phoenixions.org. Uh, there's also a group in Mesa, which uh, I don't believe they have a, a website yet. Um, so in Arizona, we got. Three ions groups often running at various levels. The, the the meetup groups you can join or you don't have to join. You just go to them and you get information about our meetings. Very good. Well, uh, I had mentioned calling in, and uh, it's it's really too far uh, into the show at this point to do it today. But I do want to tell people that next week we're doing strictly a call-in show. And I might even give them the number now. They can jot it down. It's going to be 888-463-6748. Um, we have a little time left, I guess a minute or two. Chuck, is there anything that you uh, would like to add to what we've been well, talking about? Well, this is just something you can't encapsulate in this short time. I hope we've done a little to help people understand IONS. I would like to say that IONS is an all-volunteer enterprise except for one full-time paid office staff and a couple of part-time. And I think maybe the newsletter editor and the journal editor get a small stipend, but basically everybody volunteers their time. That's from designing and supporting the website up, you know, up through being on the board of directors, putting up the content. 
and we depend on membership. So yes, for absolutely. A, a basic membership initial starter package can be thirty dollars the first year. For that, you get the quarterly newsletter once a year or once a quarter, obviously, <laughs> and you get monthly. You get a email from the Iance archives of near-death experiences or an actual narrative with a beautiful small summary paragraph on the aspect of the experiences which are covered in that month's uh, email. Right. Plus there's discounts on the uh, conferences and shopping cart, et cetera. But, and then the professional membership, people can have access to the journal. So the new journal and near-death studies that, like I say, it's been published for 35 years now. And also membership gets you access to the member portion of the website, which has a lot of material and people's accounts. Well, that's, that's great. That was a good summary, Chuck. So thanks so much. Um, we are out of time here on NDE Radio. Uh, thanks to Chuck Swedrock for all the information. And thanks to our listening audience for absorbing all the information. We'll be back next Monday, 11 a.m. East Coast time on nderadio.org. In the meantime, check out the IANS website at iands.org. Thanks for listening to NDE Radio. <laughs>